welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. Here we talk about everything healthcare and technology, and I'm your host, James Summeroo. Hey everybody, this week I'm joined by Simon Rowland, and he is Global Medical Director for Digital Health and Devices at GSK. Previously, Simon was a medical doctor, in fact, an ophthalmic surgeon. Uh, and since he's been the medical advisor for Bayer, he's been the global head of medical affairs and natural cycles. He's done loads of cool stuff in the digital health space. Oh, he's, got, he's got an awesome background that we're going to talk about and looking forward to getting into it. So Simon, welcome to the Health Tech Podcast, newly without a hyphen because I rebranded this morning. How are you doing? <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing really well. Thank you. How are you? Awesome. Very good. Thanks, buddy. Um, whereabouts are you speaking to us from today, Simon? So I'm coming to you from Stockholm, actually. So uh, not the first place you think of when you think of GSK, but uh, um, I moved down here uh, a few years back to join Natural Cycles and uh, put some roots oh, wow. down after that. Oh, very cool. Very cool. Um Cool. So the way we start these podcasts, dude, is that we we run through your story, and yeah, what a story it is. You've you've obviously similar background to me in medicine, and then moving into digital health and uh, dizzier heights than me, I suppose. Global global GSK digital health, all these all these things. So it'd be great if you could uh, run us through a bit of your story, my friend. Yeah, of course. I guess the first thing to say is that farmers really good at giving you important titles <laughs> it's a bit embarrassing actually compared to some of the some of the entrepreneurs that you have on this podcast who you know who've done way cooler things than i have but uh, Funny. but um yeah i mean I, I i get as you say i trained in medicine at, at imperial college so um and really had a fantastic time that I, I was a very distracted medical student i would say um, uh, and that's very easy to happen at Imperial. There's so much going on there in different areas, uh, particularly in uh, not so much in digital at the time, but in, in surgical technologies. And mm. yeah, you know, I ended up really involved in a lot of the research there, and probably no no coincidence because of that that, that I've ended up um, leaving clinical medicine and uh, moving more towards a, um, a research um, tech industry type career. So. Um, yeah, I mean that that was medical school, and um, after that, uh, so I stayed uh, as a clinical doctor for for, for around five years. I very heavily involved in research um, before I had the chance to to join Bayer, actually. So, um, and, and that was a you know that was a good experience. Um, a bit a bit of a baptism of fire at the time. Um, I got to see lots of different parts of the industry. I, I think uh, at, at that within that job and prepared me well for the future. Just going back a step to. Um to how you sort of migrated out of medicine i know there's other bits to your career that have led up to gsk but just this to begin with describing yourself as a distracted medical student i think is a really good description and i think quite a lot of people especially that listen to this podcast from the feedback that i get will probably that'll resonate with them it certainly resonates with me it's almost like that is a really good signal that you should be looking at if other things are getting your attention it probably is worth leaning into that other stuff with your free time to see where it goes because obviously you and I have had careers that have gone outside of medicine and done different things but I think even for me like thinking about it now it all started with that as you say distraction and for me it was sort of technology and solving problems in the hospital and things like that but really for you it was research and what could be done on that side of the fence and probably with digital as well but 
yeah interesting term i like that yeah i mean that's that's how i felt through the whole time there and i i think um i think when you're in that position it it's very hard to branch out perhaps a little bit easier these days but i think yeah, i mean it's 10 years since i was a medical student so yeah um i think a lot has changed in that time but then it was almost seen as uh you're almost seen as a bit of a failure if you don't pursue the clinical path and that's that's something that if it hasn't changed really needs to change because the world needs needs doctors in the pharmaceutical industry and in tech um i think now more than ever for, for obvious reasons yeah i do agree with that i think even now and you might get this too you know you see some of your old friends and colleagues becoming senior registrars becoming consultants even now it's sort of starting to happen like the early ones and even for me now there's there is still that element of like uh, I kind of failed at that. And it's like, nah, no, I didn't. But it, it does kind of feel that way, like, <laughs> if I'm being honest. Um, I guess I don't have a title that says global medical director, to be fair, to land back on. But, you know, perhaps that's just a chip on my shoulder. I don't know. But no, I do get it. And I, I think you're right, though. I think a medical degree can just be the first step. That's okay. That That is okay. You haven't stolen it from anyone. You've earned it. And it does open doors to do different things. I think that is the case, especially for people that then go and do, and I talk about it all the time on this, like, you know, the computer scientists, the data science, you know, if you go with a background of knowing all the problems to solve in medicine, like the, the amount of impact you can make on the world is enormous. But I, t- I totally agree. Um, what happened after Bayer or Bayer? Did you say it Bayer or did you say it Bayer? I've always said it Bayer. Maybe I've been saying it wrong. Uh, yeah, it depends whether you talk to it. A German person or a, an oh, English person, I suppose. Okay. But, um, but yeah, I um, yeah, so I, I went on to a company called Natural Cycles, I guess, yeah. which will be much more familiar to people in in the in the tech and, and entrepreneurial world. So they, um, I joined them relatively early on, I suppose. I mean, the, at the time they had twenty, thirty employees, if, if I remember correctly. Um, and I joined as the first doctor in that company. So um, they, they for, for anyone who doesn't know, they were menstrual. They started as a um, tracking menstrual cycles and, and built that product into a, a, a regulatory clear method of contraception initially in Europe and then and over in the US. And, and my role in that was really to on the medical affairs side. So to build the the data generation strategies for, for that product and. Um, and, and uh, really get ready for regulatory approval and to, to help launch the product in new markets from a medical standpoint. And, you know, I, I think actually in retrospect, I was really privileged to be able to do that role because there was such a, and there still is such a, a treasure trove of data uh, within these companies. And, you know, the academic output purely was, uh, you know, over two years we had six manuscripts and we had, um you know, presentations all over the world. And that was, we could have done much more if, if, if I'd been much better, I think. But, um, you know, I, I think it, it really taught me the value of data uh, within digital and, and how that can be used to, to grow a company. It's a really interesting role, I suppose, with your background as well, isn't it? Like obviously coming from medicine and, you know, a bit of advisory at pharma and all that research, that seems like really good ground for you to, understand and know all those things but similarly i guess there was no other data generation strategist at a similar company that you could ask for advice it seems like quite a a pioneering role uh, at the time certainly 
did you feel that way was it a bit of, did, did you kind of feel your way through that role how did you learn how to do it did you just have an instinct for it talk to me a bit about that yeah I, I think in some ways um in some ways it was new because we were looking at massive data sets right so um you know, I remember the manuscripts we published towards the end had sort of more than 17 million basal body temperature measurements and, you know, hundreds of thousands of, of women included within the studies. And, you know, that presents a whole new set of problems. You, you, can't, you can't approach that in the same way that you would a traditional uh, clinical study. Um, so things like, you know, even silly things that you don't think about, but um, you know, doing statistical tests, you're your really basic tests of whether something works or not don't work with that size of data because you get a positive result whatever you do with it because there's so many people in the trial um it's then really hard to interpret that so yeah i mean i don't want to get too technical about it but the, the practicalities of doing research in in those sorts of companies with such massive unique data sets um are really a big challenge and something i've tried to bring forward from that role to, to gsk nice just out of interest how was that role advertised? Were they were they looking for that specifically, or did you kind of create that role somewhat while you were in there? Yeah, and that, that's a really interesting question because I I've certainly um, come across a lot of entrepreneurs who who wrestle with themselves as to how much uh, and, the, and indeed whether they need a medical affairs person or any, yeah. anyone medical within the company because it's an it's an expensive resource, right? Um, and the actual the outputs are not always obvious. Um, yeah. So um, I think, I mean, Natural Cycles was both the founders are physicists from from CERN. So you know, some of the most academic Very people nice. <laughs> you know in, in the world, and you know, experts at, at dealing with algorithms. And I think that that background really um, probably helped them in, I think, making that decision as as they needed a, a degree of, of medical input, um, there, whereas others might might choose that that's not necessarily. For them, I don't think there's one formula. Um, I think it really depends on what you're trying to achieve as a company and and what space you're in and how medicalized it is and, you know, a lot of different factors. Yeah, that makes sense. How long were you at Natural Cycles for? Uh, a couple of years, but it, it, those two years, I would say, you know, the output from those two years, it, it would take five, six, seven years in a pharma company. I would say um, simple kind of everyday tasks in medical affairs, running advisory boards with external experts. I mean, I remember we, we were at four or five in, in, in 20, uh, 2018, 2019. And, um, you know, in pharma, one in six months, six to six, nine, 12 months is, a, is an achievement. You often run two in a year, but nothing like um, that level of output that you get in the small companies. Mm. One thing I'm interested in about your time at Natural Cycles is I suppose some of the stuff that you did around communicating with the public about what you were doing and sort of raising the brand of digital health almost and and the value of it. And the reason I ask is because obviously my my role now as, you know, co-founder of a of an innovation and communications agency, you know, we help startups and companies innovate through communication essentially, whether that is video podcasts or whether that is just innovative campaigns and things like that. How was it for you, I suppose, taking that hardcore research and then making it digestible, useful and all those things for the public in order to kind of drive adoption? And 
I don't know, were there any learning points through that process for you? Yeah, I think I think it was the hardest part of the job. Right. Um, I, I think uh, uh, when I, between the time I'd accepted um, an offer from them and, and I was really excited about joining and, um, and when I started, there was an ASA complaint in the UK against the company around some of the communication that, that they'd used um, to advertise the product. And um, I mean, a, a small, it was a, a road bump in, in, in the grand scheme of things, sure. but that, that, but that really shed, shed a light on the importance of that topic um, because some of the, some of the information that they, they'd used to, to communicate had, had been interpreted in, in a way that they hadn't seen, I think. And, um, although at the time it was seen as a, you know, a major, a major issue, and, and of course it is a major issue. Anything that 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 um, in any way that is misleading towards the public is, you know, needs to be addressed very, very quickly. Um, it was a, it was a good thing for the company, I think, because when when it came to building communications around claims and um, efficacy going forward, and and for the other markets, there was a much more measured. Um, and methodological approach taken um and i think that was you know i it, it was it was close to being industry leading i think um, i, I, I yeah. haven't seen small startups that size take so much care and rigor after that event in um in the way that they communicate with with the public so i i think they, should, they deserve a big pat on the back for that yeah definitely because yeah I, I remember it i i you know i i know that brand and largely because of i suppose a lot of that communications work that was going on right um yeah that is indeed the whole point of it yeah it's it's interesting and i think what what about that kind of distilling it for the public and i suppose making that hardcore research into something that they could understand is you said it was the hardest part of the job i mean how did you, how did you guys go about doing that practically because ultimately you're trying to drive leads for the company right you're trying to ultimately explain the value so that loads more people can get that value as a proxy then the company's going to do well and the whole cycle repeats right um but yeah i'm interested in that bit yeah so i think I mean, you hear this term evidence-based or clinically backed you hear these yeah. terms across the digital health industry a lot you know and that is that's a, those terms are something that I was very used to hearing in, in the pharmaceutical industry and I felt I always felt that they were um, very appropriate towards doctors who you know who could really understand those terms in the way that they were meant to be understood and take them like what they needed but I think when you start using those types of terms with the general public you have to be very careful particularly in digital and um, I think some of the unique challenges to digital when it when it comes to evidence base uh, is around the populations in which your device has been studied on. So, um, just to give you, you, you know, to to, give, to to expand on that, I mean, a, a lot of a lot of devices will have their evidence uh, generated through data that's essentially collected as part of the the product workflow, right? And um, that's a that's a fantastic way for digital products to generate data. And, you know, I'm very supportive and, and pushing that, that approach because it's, it's cost efficient, it's quick, and it gives people the information that they need in a, in a timely manner. But it does limit the interpretation of the data to the people in which you've used to study it. And they tend to be of a particular demographic from a particular country, um, maybe a stage in life or an age. 
And actually generalizing that data from, from one population to a broader population is a dangerous task and, and very difficult. And I think that, that was the challenge that we, we wrestled with in natural cycles. And um, yeah. for anyone who's interested in, 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 that, in the research that we produced, you'll see that we have started to look and publish around the efficacy of the product in different populations for exactly that reason. Got it. And before we move on to GSK, I suppose this does also highlight a point which is the opportunity or opportunities for digital in consumer health. There is obviously a knife edge to walk in terms of how you are communicating and making sure you're communicating properly, effectively, all those different things. But clearly there is an opportunity here. We had Vishal Varani who um, he's just moved to RB in fact, to, um, as part of their new digital health uh, like team that they're building. So clearly there's, there's organizations that have, and you know, RB owning, I think things like Gaviscon and Strepsils and st- that kind of thing anyway. So clearly those companies are now thinking of, of ways to use digital, I suppose, either to up adherence or adoption, whatever you want to call that. Um, and obviously to continually add value to the people that are buying those products but I'm interested in your view of, of what you think the opportunities are for digital health as it applies to consumer health. Yeah, well, it's a very relevant uh, question for us at the moment. And uh, as I, I don't know whether you've seen this, but um, certainly out in the public domain, the GSK consumer is um, working towards a, a split from the main GSK uh, farmer. Oh, and that, that's expected to happen sort of middle of next year. And at that point, um, you know, will will be a standalone consumer health company, one of, if not the biggest in, in the world. So, you know, and, and at the moment, digital is, has been used relatively um, relatively sparsely within, within the consumer health business, I, I would say. And that there are huge opportunities there for, for us to grow the capabilities of, of GSK consumer. Um, I think particularly around understanding the consumer um, understanding the people who use our products and um, focusing not not so much about the efficacy of the product in a, in a particular situation, but more on how how that impacts the individual in their everyday life. Uh, and that's something that's been very difficult to do, I would say, um, as part of a, a big global pharmaceutical company. Uh, so, you know, personally, I'm really excited about those possibilities and um, I think I think GSK have done exactly the right thing in sort of getting a, a, a getting and growing a, a group of digital sort of clinicians and scientists um, ahead of time. Yeah, it's interesting what you say there about the actual goals there being not necessarily to be too concerned about increasing efficacy. It's more about understanding users and increasing the impact on everyday life. You probably can't say the types of things that you're thinking about or that you're developing and doing. Or can you? <laughs> I think um, there's lots of different ways in which you can uh, utilize digital within a pharmaceutical company, within a consumer health company. And, you know, there's, there's the, the really interesting stuff on product development. Um, but there's also ways in which you can um, get, get closer to the customer by using the data you have from your current products. And, um, you know, companies like GSK have massive databases, and they're really just being being wait. They're just lying there waiting to be um, used 
but but I think from my point of view, actually generating evidence is going to be a major part of our role mm. uh, in GSK consumer and, and digital is, you know, has a unique capability to do that. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. So moving on to, I suppose, your role, because I think a lot of people will be interested. What does a global medical director for digital health at GSK do? What does it, what does a normal day look like for Simon Rowland? Yeah, well, we're, we're a fairly new team in GSK Consumer. Um, we're a mix of clinicians and, and scientists, all with experience in digital health. So we are at the moment um, spread across lots of different areas of work. Some of the areas that I've mentioned. So there's there's the whole there's product development and ideation, um, and that's a really cool part of the job. Um, this digi- digital data generation, as I've mentioned, is a, is a is a great big part of it, is a great part of my work at the moment, and something I'm really enjoying um, utilizing those experiences from from natural cycles, uh, you know, to try and help us get um, closer to the consumer uh, within this space. Uh, and then there's work on on partnerships with startups as well, and um, you know that's something that that tends to have been the model through which pharmaceutical companies have have uh, interacted with startups in the, in the health tech space as, as you'll know and you know we i think at gsk we're no different i think we see the value in in a lot of really fascinating creations in smaller startups and if we can help those startups uh, and those solutions that they're producing to scale and to get the, the, the people that need them then i you know i think it's a win-win for everyone Nice. So on that then, what kinds of startups do you look at and how practically do you actually interact with them? Do you guys look to invest? Do you partner? Do you acquire? Do you do all of the above? Yeah, we, we haven't. Um, the relationships so far have been around partnerships, um, yeah. early stage. Um, but we, you know, we'll have to see how things develop. I think, I think we, we're, we're evolving into a standalone company. And so that, that working model um is something that we'll that will evolve with us i think um as we look purely at the consumer space sure um and what what stage does a startup or let's let's go more broad what what does a good startup look like to you guys in terms of what they might be doing what size they might be how far they are down things like evidence generation r d like what what kinds of startups would you i mean for the people listening right like who who are you just like yeah that's no and this is maybe this is a yes yeah uh, i'm going to give you a very diplomatic answer so you won't like this but, <laughs> but it, uh, um yeah, i think it really depends on uh the problem that you're trying to address right the, there's no one formula um and I, i've been at this problem um from different angles you know i've been sure. on the startup side trying to find ways of um you know, working with the bigger companies because we think that's that's what we should be doing. I, mm. Actually, I don't think it, it isn't always actually the best route, but that's another question. Um, and then I've been on it from this side as well, uh, looking at smaller groups who are interested in, in working with us. So uh, I think for GSK, I mean, you know, one, one of the phrases that we, we use a lot is trusted science. And, and I think, um, you know, from my point of view, a strong evidence base is is really important for for any partners, uh, and and it might be that we, you know, we might be the people to help generate that evidence base, um, or it might be that for for other situations that we're looking for people who, who've already 
um, gone through that process. So, you know, long story short, I, I think it really depends on um, what you're trying to achieve and uh, at that particular point in time. Cool. And for you guys at the moment in consumer, are you focused on any particular disease areas or particular solutions for anything? How does that work for you guys? Yeah, well, well GSK Consumer um, currently offers a, you know, a, quite a broad selection of um, different areas. So within within allergy, um, within oral health, uh, there's a big part of the business. Um, you know that reach is is incredible, and I think I think we have a responsibility to to be evolving and and really maximizing the value of what we can offer um, to, to those people who who are engaged with our products. Yeah. And one thing you mentioned before we started talking about startups was this element of data generation being a really important part. And I suppose particularly as it pertains to what you're going to do next, right? Because you you want to collect the data on the products that are already out there. You want to innovate. You want to build new stuff. Or you want to change the things that you are doing. So I guess my question is, in GSK, how does it work then in terms of you obviously got a team that will crunch that data and you know, look at it, find the trends, et cetera, et cetera. What happens then? Do you have like, is it designers? Is it a different group? Is it product? Like how do you, how do you guys then actually use that data to inform new stuff? Yeah, well, I think, I mean, the model is evolving, right? I mean, I, I think as the company looks to separate, I, I think we, you know, I think we, we need to, we need to develop into a consumer focused company that is that is making use of all the tools that um, that the startups uh, are all very familiar with already and mm-hmm. that includes all of those areas that that you've mentioned and I think that that's going to be a somewhat of a change for, for, for quite a traditional farm company like like GSK but but also an incredible opportunity and you know we there's plenty of us particularly in our team who've had that experience in the startups um, and who you know have seen the benefits of those tools and particularly in and getting closer to the consumer and understanding people who use our product and the needs to keep understanding the people who use our products to, to keep it relevant and, and beneficial for people. So, um, yeah, I, I think all of those things that you've mentioned are, are really important. Cool. I know that you, you had a manuscript in, in Nature, didn't you? And one of those bits in that was about, uh, about digital therapeutics. And I think for me, digital therapeutics are, are, are super interesting as a means of people making their own care better, essentially empowering people to sort of manage themselves. You know, the, the digital element is giving them advice or nudges or actual therapy in some cases. What do you think of digital therapeutics? And is just as you said, you know, 89 million people in the US uh, have got a G or have used or bought a GSK product. Is the, is a digital therapeutic something that a pharma company might do or get involved with or partner with a startup, say, to um, to try and roll out? I, I think it's inevitable that um, pharma becomes involved with you know with, with DTX uh, more and more going going forward, and I I think. Um, you know, from my experience, that relationship with some of the smaller companies has sometimes been difficult because the business models are often so different between between your startups and, and your your very traditional pharma companies. But but I think you know it, it's just a matter of time that 
um, until those those types of products being off start being offered to, or continue you know, to be offered on a larger scale uh, by by pharma companies. But but it's not just the therapeutic element. I think um, digital has, has obviously grown hugely over the last few years. You see VC funding, you know, close to fifteen billion globally last year, and um, you know. Although DTX and therapeutics has been an initial focus and an initial, an initial success story, I think for companies like ours, you know, the importance of early diagnosis and prevention, um, both from uh, both from our point of view, but also from a healthcare sustainability point of view globally, it, it, that's definitely not lost on us. And um, I, I think the digital health space needs to and not only continue to embrace the therapeutic element, but also um, to start bringing those this diagnostic and, and preventative treatments as well, as it already is in some cases, but that, those areas I think need to grow to try and catch up with the therapeutic side. Yeah, that makes sense. What, what are your thoughts on evidence when it comes to digital therapeutics? Where do you feel like we are at the moment? Is there enough? Do you think there's more we could do? Yeah, and this is what we looked at in, in the manuscript um, uh, in, in Nature Digital last year. And it... Um, what we found really was that the the number of therapies that were really meeting the traditional standards for what you would term <laughs> evidence based, they, you know, were really small, and and that's that was really just um, that was really just a, a chance to take stock of where we are. It doesn't mean yeah. that all digital products need that level of evidence. Far from it, if mm-hmm. you ask me. Um, but we it does highlight that when you're communicating around evidence with consumers i think it's important that we're clear about the level of evidence uh, and for what populations that that, that evidence refers to uh, so that the right people can get on the right products and and, and get the best uh, outputs from those yeah practically speaking you know if you've got rcts at one end and you've got my mate says it's good at the other end what do you, what do you feel as you know you're a medical doctor by background you've you've done a lot in in pharma now and you've been in a startup you've sort of seen it from all sides where where's your kind of instinctive like that's about enough evidence to go to a department a ward a clinician a clinical director what's what's about right for you and i suppose there's i suppose there's actually there's probably what's about right <coughs> excuse me right now and then there's what what it, what should it be but I'm just interested on where you sit on that and what you think what you think the next phase of it is. Mm. No, it's, it's a really good question. And, um, you know, I, some people would say that there's never enough evidence that, you know, yeah. you always need to keep yeah. learning about, about your product. That's probably not so helpful or, or inspiring for some of the <laughs> startups that listen. But, um, but, I, but I think, you know, we, we launched, um, you know, I've been through this phase of launching a digital product in, in the US, um, in different parts of the US, and in different countries in Europe and in South America. And, and actually, the, the question, the answer to that question varies hugely um, from region to region, from person to person. But um, again, probably not so reassuring for some of your startups. But um, what I would say is that it, it, it's very closely linked to the level of risk that you're that you're taking in, in clinical practice. That's a good answer. So, that's a good answer. Yeah, and I, I think that's the approach that the, uh, the the medical device regulators tend to take. It's, mm. it's generally about risk and how, how you mitigate that risk, uh, and I think that's a that's a very sensible approach to take. Yeah, and I think you know with 
software as a medical device regs and you know c marketing fdo all that sort of stuff you know for devices particularly even if it's now software you know it's it's almost there's there is a path now that is what you have to do that is what you have to get as a bare minimum as well as then using it in clinical practice and, and seeing it on a few patients it's always just a tough one though isn't it because as you say people are always going to turn around and say well you could have more evidence that just is what it is but yeah it's something that i'm just not convinced you've got right just yet it's always hard for startups i think to there's always a conversation around health economics and you know building out health economics case and even then it's full of so many assumptions because they're so early and it's it's just such a fine line to walk but obviously when it comes to something like gsk the level of evidence has to be exceptional for them to, to get comfortable but to conclude what you said though I, I really like the phrase that it has to be proportional to the amount of risk you're taking I think that is a really good sensible guide for anyone if if you're listening if you've got an idea if you've got a product and you're thinking about evidence that if you can make sure it is proportional to the amount of risk and yeah again that's arbitrary but with a bit of common sense applied, you can probably figure it out um, or at least have a good stab at it. There are also things like there's nice guidance on it um, about the acceptable levels of, of evidence for different types of devices and things like that. That That's that was different types of software. That That is out there too. Um, but I think it is cross-referencing all of that stuff in order to, to find the best solution. But I suppose my final question, Simon, would be about be about the future and and maybe that's the immediate future maybe that's the long-term future for you for gsk what are you looking to achieve what are what are gsk looking to achieve yeah i mean we want to my my job is to to grow the capabilities of, of digital health um you know through through software through devices um within gsk and you know ultimately we want to be closer to our to our consumers we want to understand how people use our products and you know where the gaps are and and how we can we can most benefit people um and you know how we do that from within gsk is is something that's going to be constantly evolving um you know as we learn more more and more about how our products are used in the real world so you know it's a really exciting time and um i think we're doing we're really doing the groundwork at the moment for for a successful start as a, as a sort of consumer health focused standalone company. Awesome. And for those entrepreneurs and companies that feel like they could offer something to GSK, what would be the best way for them to either find out more information or indeed get in touch? Yeah. I mean, anyone is, I, I always love talking to startups. Um, you know, I've been in that world. I, I understand it. And, you know, the most, um, interesting um often the, the the conversations that i learn the most are with those early stage companies so you know always reach out have a talk um i think when you're dealing with pharma uh, you have to be i think you have to put a bit of time in to understand um how pharmaceutical companies work um it's not just about the the idea and the possibility it's it's about a lot more within pharma so even if um even if you do present an idea to, to to a pharma company and and there's excitement about it, there's a lot of other things that have to fall into place. So you have to be patient, I think, and you and you have to try and adapt. Um, if if indeed you want those partnerships with pharma, I mean, it's not all as I say, it's not always the best way to go, but um, but I think um, it, it's a very good match for in, in a lot of situations. 
Awesome. And if people want to get in touch with you to say hi or get a bit of info, what's the best way? I assume LinkedIn. Yeah, I mean, LinkedIn is great. And um, yeah, what I would say is always always add a note as to, you know, what what the area you're interested in. Even if it's just to say, look, I just want to have a chat and get some advice. I mean, that's fine as well. And um, yeah, I'm always uh, really pleased to, to talk to people. Awesome. Simon, it's been an absolute pleasure. It's great to hear what is going on uh, behind the scenes at GSK and to understand a bit more about, you know, how the consumer business might separate from the normal pharma business. Obviously, your background coming from medicine and everything that you've done in the startup world and natural cycles and now, obviously, in pharma, it's it's a super interesting career path. I think a lot of people will uh, want to learn a bit more potentially and uh, if so, we might need to do this again. But um, until then... It's been a pleasure having you on and thank you so much for coming. Of course. Uh, thanks very much for having me on and um, and congrats again for your for your 100,000 downloads. I'm pleased to be uh, the first person after that milestone. So <laughs> that's a privilege. Thank you, sir. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening and making it all the way to the end of this episode. Remember to subscribe, rate us and leave a review. And you can head to the description of this episode to follow me on all of my social media so you don't miss out on any of the latest health tech content.